In 399 BC, in Athens, we find ourselves at the trial of the great Socrates, the philosopher. Um, he is someone who is referenced quite frequently throughout the world and one to be known to have great pearls of wisdom. And towards the end, he was charged with causing grief and um, damage to society through the words he was saying, that he was leading the youth astray and different things like that. And so it became a, a very political and strenuous time um, at that, in that particular era. You could almost compare it to the debates we have about freedom of speech today. This is going back then, though, and their version of freedom of speech was under attack, and Socrates was the defender of it. And that's where we find this last scenario. He, he is, I think they're conflicted about the, um, the trial, the upcoming trial, because they, they're unsure whether or not they like the idea of punishing him for speaking or sharing his views. And so he gets opportunities to escape, but he turns them down and decides to go to trial. And he, he could have gone to other countries, he could have left, but he stayed and he took this head on. And basically the story of Socrates is someone who listened to his inward voice and followed the instruction of it. And you, you, you get the thought, what would happen in my life if I did that? Well, this is what happened to Socrates. It, it is funny when you think about greatness and, and achieving great things. We know there's opposition in all great things. And so you, the imagery we get is if you do something amazing, you're going to get just amazing things. Well, the question becomes is what is amazing? What does that actually look like? Is it no suffering? Is it easy? Or is good things, is, does that include difficulty? Well, I'll let you be the judge. But this is the, well, this is the story of Socrates and what happened to him when he followed um, his own belief system, his own inward voice, and he demonstrated that he was a man of integrity by so doing that. I won't share every word, but I am going to read um, a large majority of his speech. So he's there, he's speaking to them, he's making his case, and he starts speaking about his obligation to speak the truth. And so that's where we find him here in this section of his speech. Some will say, yes, Socrates, but cannot you hold your tongue? And then you may go into a foreign city and no one will interfere with you. Now I have great difficulty in making you understand my answer to this. For if I tell you that to do as you say would be a disobedience to the God and therefore that I cannot hold my tongue, you will not believe that I'm serious. And if I say again that daily to discourse about virtue and of those other things about which you hear me examining myself and others is the greatest good of man and that the unexamined life is not worth living, you are still less likely to believe me. Yet I say what is true Although a thing of which it is hard for me to persuade you, also I have never been accustomed to think that I deserve to suffer any harm. Had I money, I might have estimated the offence at what I was able to pay and not have been much the worse. But I have none. And therefore I must ask you to proportion the fine to my means. Well, perhaps I could afford a mina and therefore propose that penalty. Plato, Crito... Critobulus, Apollodorus, 
my friends here, bid me say 30 mine, and they will be the sureties. Let 30 mine be the penalty, for which sum they will be ample security to you. This is him laying out a bit of a, if I just step back a bit, he essentially saying, you know, my whole belief is that a life unexamined is not a worth life, a worth a life worth living, and so I can't hold my tongue. And so, what what a life is that? And, I, and if I've caused harm, give me a fee or a fine that I can afford, that you know demonstrates my sincerity. But otherwise, um, I don't think I should be punished. We'll keep reading. Not much time will be gained, O Athenians, in return for the evil name which you will get from the detractors of the city, who will say that you killed Socrates, a wise man. For they will call me wise, even although I am not wise, when they want to reproach you. If you had waited a little while, your desire would have been fulfilled in the course of nature. For I am far advanced in years, as you may perceive, and not far from death. I am speaking now, not to all of you, but only to those who have condemned me to death. And I have another thing to say to them. You think that I was convicted because I had no words of the sort which would have procured me my acquittal. I mean, if I had thought fit to leave nothing undone or unsaid, not so. The deficiency which led to my conviction was not of words, certainly not. But I had not the boldness or impudence or inclination to address you as you would have liked me to do weeping and wailing and lamenting and saying and doing many things which you have been accustomed to hear from others and which, as I maintain, are unworthy of me. I thought at the time that I ought not to do anything common or mean when in danger, nor do I now repent of the style of my defence. I'd rather <coughs> die having spoken after my manner than speak in your manner and live, for neither in war nor yet at law ought I or any man to use every way of escaping death. Often in battle there can be no doubt that if a man will throw away his arms and fall on his knees before his pursuers, he may escape death. And in other dangers there are other ways of escaping death if a man is willing to say and do anything. The difficulty, my friends, is not to avoid death, but to avoid unrighteousness, for that runs faster than, than death. I am old and move slowly, and the slower runner has overtaken me, and my accusers are keen and quick, and the faster runner who was unrighteous has overtaken them, and now I depart hence condemned by you to suffer the penalty of death. They too go their ways, condemned by the truth, to suffer the penalty, penalty of villainy and wrong, and I must abide by my award. Let them abide by theirs. I suppose that these things may be regarded as fated, and I think that they are well. That, that whole section there is quite profound. It's, uh, it, it's funny because you see it in today's day and age, don't we? we? We see the same thing. He says, I'm not going to come to you and apologize the way that you want me to do. You want me to come lamenting and wailing and you want me to drop to my knees and say I'm sorry, but I, but I won't, as others have. And there's many ways people can keep their lives you know, you can be in war and drop your swords and beg to your knees. And, but he said he'd rather live on. And he said the difficulty, he'd rather live the way he feels is true 
um, even if it was shorter, then to compromise that. And the difficulty isn't so much avoiding death, but to, uh, he, the words he uses is to avoid unrighteousness. And, I, you know, because you can, everyone gets outrun eventually by death. <clears throat> but the hardest thing is to do what is right, despite consequences that we know are going to come. And um, I feel that is, uh, that's, if we, if we live our lives that way, again, going back to our, my initial, the starting of this podcast is, well, what is greatness? Is it easy? Because that sounds like greatness to me. Doing what is right regardless of the consequences. We can't always do what's right all the time because we're human, but, but try to live by that principle. Okay. Let's uh, keep going. He speaks specifically here to the people who have uh, accused him. And now, O men, who have condemned me, I would fain prophecy to you, for I am about to die. And in the hour of death, men are gifted with prophetic power. And I prophesy to you, who are my murderers, that immediately after my departure, punishment far heavier than you have inflicted on me will surely await you. Me you have killed because you wanted to escape the accuser, and not to give an account of your lives. But that will not be as you suppose, far otherwise. For I say that there will be more accusers of you than there are now, accusers whom hitherto I have restrained. And as they are younger, they will be more inconsiderate with you, and you will be more offended at them. If you think that by killing men you can prevent someone from censoring your evil lives, you are mistaken. That is not a way of escape, which is either possible or honourable. The easiest and the noblest way is not to be disabling others, but to be improving yourselves. This is the prophecy which I utter before my departure to the judges who have condemned me. Friends, who would have acquitted me? I would like also to talk with you about the thing which has come to pass, while the magistrates are busy. And before I go to the place at which I must die, stay then a little, for we may as well talk with one another while there is time. You are my friends, and I should like to show you the meaning of this event which has happened to me. O my judges, for you I may truly call judges. I should like to tell you of a wonderful circumstance. Hitherto the divine faculty of which the internal oracle is the source has constantly been in the habit of opposing me, even about trifles, if I was going to make a slip or error in in any matter. And now, as you see, there has come upon me which may be thought and is generally believed to be the last and worst evil. But the oracle made no sign of opposition, either when I was leaving my house in the morning or when I was on my way to the court or while I was speaking, anything which I was going to say. And yet I have often been stopped in the middle of a speech, but now as nothing I either said or did touching the matter in hand has the oracle opposed me. What do I take to be the exclamation of the silence? I will tell you, it is an intimation that what has happened to me is good and that those of us who think that death is an evil are an error. For the customary sign would surely have opposed me had I been going to evil and not to good. Just stop there a little bit. I really like the part where he's talking to uh, his detractors. It's a true principle here, isn't it? He's saying... You don't like what I'm saying and you're trying to, maybe the things that he said has made 
his detractors feel uncomfortable or look inward and feel guilt or shame or something. And he's accusing them of trying to wipe away their own shortcomings by getting rid of him. And his message is, you can't improve your own life by getting rid of the bad around you. You have to be improving yourself. And I think that is a pretty powerful message that can be applied day to day. That forget about trying to remove all the evil, all the horrors. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with cleaning the house, so to speak. But you have to improve yourself. That's where the true power comes. Um, Let's carry on. Um, with this profound speech. Let us, refe- re- let us reflect in another way, and we shall see that there is great reason to hope that death is a good. For one of two things, either death is a state of nothingness and utter unconsciousness, or as men say, there is a change and a migration of the soul from this world to another. Now, if you suppose that there is no consciousness, but a sleep like the sleep of him who is undisturbed even by dreams, death will be an unspeakable gain. <clears throat> For if a person were to select a night in which his sleep was undisturbed even by dreams and were to compare with this the other days and nights of his life and then were to tell us how many days and nights he had passed in the course of his life, better and more pleasantly than this one, I think that, that any man, I will not say a private man, but even a great king will not find many such days or nights, when compared with the others. Now, if death be of such nature, I say that to die is gain, for eternity is then only a single night. That's uh, a great viewpoint, a way to look at it. You know, you think of your best sleep when you sleep and, and you feel great. If death is to be like that, could there be a better sleep? Well, I suppose from that angle, it truly is rest. And the other side of the coin, if, the, if there is life after death, well, life carries on. <clears throat> so what is death but good? He continues on. And I'm going to try and pronounce some of these words. Excuse me if I don't get them perfectly right. But if death is the journey to another place, and there, as men say, all the dead abide, what good, O oh my friends and judges, can be greater than this? If indeed, when the pilgrim arrives in the well below... He is delivered from the professors of justice in this world and finds the true judges who are said to give judgment there, <coughs> Minas and Radamanthus and Achaeus and Triptolemus and other sons of God who are righteous in their own life, that pilgrimage will be worth making. <coughs> what would not a man give if he might converse with Orpheus and Musaeus and Hesiod and Homer? Now, if this be true, let me die again and again. I myself too shall have a wonderful interest in their meeting and conversing with Palamedes and Ajax, the son of Telamon, and other ancient hero who has suffered death through an unjust judgment. And there will be no small pleasure, as I think, in comparing my own sufferings with theirs. Above all, I shall then be able to continue my search into true and false knowledge, as in this world, or so also in the next, I shall find out who was wise and who pretends to be wise and is not. What would not a man give, O judges, to be able to examine the leader of the great Trojanic expedition? Or Odysseus, or Sisyphus, or numberless others, men and women too. What infinite delight would there be in conversing with them and asking them questions? In another world, 
<clears throat> Do they not put a man to death for asking questions? Assuredly not. For besides being happier than we are, they will be immortal if what is said is true. Again, just great insight. Imagine if, if there is another life, we get to converse with others, those great people who've gone before us. And what would you not give to be able to do that? And then he gives a little line there at the end, which is a bit of a stick it to him, where he says, in another world, do not, um, they do not put a man to death for asking questions. I think I said that right the first time. This is the line. In another world, they do not put a man to death for asking questions. Assuredly not. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's really fascinating. He's sitting there saying, you're putting me to death for asking questions and trying to get to the bottom of things. And I know in the next life, that's not it. And so it just testifies to his, his cause being righteous. We keep going here. This is the, the end of the speech. Wherefore, O judges, be of good cheer about death, and know of a certainty that no evil can happen to a good man, either in life or after death. He and his are not neglected by the gods, nor has my own approaching and happened by mere chance. But I see clearly, clearly that the time had, had arrived when it was better for me to die and be released from trouble. Wherefore, <clears throat> the oracle gave no sign, for which reason also I am not angry with my condemners or with my accusers. They have done me no harm, although they did not mean to do me any good, and for this I may gently blame them. Still I have a favour to ask of them. When my sons are grown up, I would ask you, O oh my friends, to punish them, and I would have you trouble them, as I have troubled you. If they seem to care about riches or anything more than about virtue, or if they pretend to be something when they are really nothing, then reprove them, as I have reproved you. For not caring about that for which they ought to care, and thinking that they are something when they are really nothing. And if you do this, both I and my sons will have received justice at your hands. The hour of departure has arrived, and we go our ways. I to die, and you to live. Which is better? God only knows. Whew. I actually got goosebumps when I read that last line. Um, that's really something. That is really something. What a speech. What a speech. As I read that last, those last paragraphs, um, I, um, there's a lot of things that stand out, but um, I found it interesting that he wanted them to continue to punish his sons if they were focusing on the wrong things. And I, I don't think punish is the right word. It's probably interpreted differently, but I imagine reprove or correct or something maybe with sharpness when needed. You know, in, in other words... You know, he, his whole focus is about improving yourself and not focusing on things that are really not of value. Focusing on val- virtue and and all those kind of things that, that can lead to progression and therefore a form of happiness. Well, <clears throat> I think that's what he's he knows. And it's so easy in life, isn't it, to get caught up in the things that don't matter much. Um, you, can, you can lose sight of the bigger picture. Anyway, I, I feel like through this whole speech that <clears throat> if we can, a lot of this can be applied to our daily lives, but um, seeing as he's an authority of it, I think it's worth listening to. And I think if we can all apply the, um, the teaching to, to try to look inward and, and improve ourselves the way that he is trying to put forth here, 
and to be able to uh, examine ourselves. A life unexamined is not a life worth living, as he puts it. So we should look for opportunities for that, I suppose, is my takeaways. I hope you've enjoyed this. I really enjoyed reading it. I apologize. I've got a bit of a, um, a cough today. So hopefully that uh, goes soon. I'll be able to read again. But it's great to be able to read another podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. The Great Socrates. Isn't it amazing that all these years later we can read his words? I wonder if he knew that when he gave this speech. Till next time. Um, have a good one. Speak soon. And bye.